Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Zabo and we are here today thanks to Sportsmate Mobile and the Footy Live app. Make sure you download the Footy Live app today for all your stats, scores, highlights, news, opinions and of course your podcast. We have a great show for you today. We will be having a chat with Western Bulldogs Premiership hero Tom Boyd about his career, his mental health battles and what he's doing now to help others who are going through similar circumstances. Then I will wrestle with Nick and Gordo, chuck them in here to chat about round 15 on the Monday review panel on a Tuesday. And of course, we will answer your tweets and emails. What a round it was this weekend. Uh, horrible for Richmond fans like myself. A lot of people think the dynasty's over and that the empire is falling, but... I'm a little bit more optimistic, and I'll chat to the boys about that because Nico reckons that it's all over, and he thinks that the Hawks are a chance for the flag after that uh, Sunday performance. He'll be very vocal for sure. And we have a new flag favorite every week, which uh, Gordo, I think, thinks the Dogs and the Lions might be sitting at the top of their list. I'll, uh, I'll have a chat to them very soon. I can't wait to speak to Boydie, and I can't wait to see what the boys have come up with this week. So let's get the puns out of the way so we can enjoy the rest of the show. Here is the wonderful round recap of round 15. Revenge is a dish best served bold, and the Lions served that up with rich flavours on Thursday night. Geelong had a cat nap that lasted four quarters and were never really in the contest. Brisbane just kept Fagan into the distance. Geelong's defence couldn't cope with Lions forwards. It was like they couldn't tell if it was a him or Danaher. Joe kicked four, the Lincoln in the chain slotted two, and who would kick a couple more to seal the deal? Hipwood. Brisbane and Roaring now, while Chris Scott's men face such a long way back to Victoria. Lions by 44. The light at the end of the Premiership Tunnel is looking a whole lot dimmer for Richmond, as the Saints gave them a holy thrashing. Marshall took his team for a rider, and the Tigers couldn't compare the pair. Richmond's rucks had different age, different income, and lost more important things than money in a humiliating defeat. Saints killed the Tigers fans' dreams, and maybe resurrected their own. Some thought they were finished, but are they really Dunstan? He was superb, delivering skills fit for a Max King. Saints by 40. The Pies got off to a good start against the Dockers, but their big cocks got Alex pierced. That hurt, as did the fact they got beaten on a Saturday by a Monday. Lob shots were also effective, which meant the loss of a five-star champion didn't matter. Collingwood were gallant, but really had Buckley's chance of winning. Shamey was sacked. Trio by 12 points. North down south are a different team, and on Saturday afternoon, Gold Coast found out there isn't a lot of sunshine in Tassie. It was a noble performance from the Roos, who were jumping past obstacles all season to get to this point. Cunnington, who likes to stay quiet, threw in a loud performance. How's he been this season, though? Been good. Been very good. As were the Kangaroos. North by nine points. In one of the games of the season, Houston had no problems and Callum became the mills of rain. There were dry and wet periods throughout the game, <laughs> but it was Port who eventually floated on their boat. He had a buddy to let down gently before Mays performed in June. The teams were pretty much juiced before Scott made it game, set and match Port Adelaide. The power by 10 points. Essendon nearly won on merit again on Saturday night as he and the whole parish totaled 78 possessions. It was May Day for Stephen and the D's though, as he pulled the lever to a defensive display that won the game. The umps lost their whistles as fans lost patient. Just used physical harms as the example. Really dropped the ball on that one. Dons were brave, Melbourne were just too good. The ironic thing? The best demon happens to be Christian. D's by 11. The Hawks caused a giant upset as Timmy looked oh so good. The Hawk flew high for that incredible grab while Dylan showed more. It was Will's day and Denver was like a Bronco until there was Granger danger as he was concussed. Nothing to be barassed about though. There was for the Giants though. No green shoots, over the hill and way ward. Connor, I done know what the hell happened there. Leon can run, but he can't hide. Hawks by 18 points. Optus had no fans as the Dogs had better connection than Telstra. The Astra Norton dominated the air from the beginning and finished with four bones. The Eagles brought back their midfield rock stars, but looked like they hadn't even left their Hotel California. Kelly was smelly, Chewy was spewy, and Gaff was having a laugh. The dogs are the real deal, and West Coast let them out. No Oscar Allen winning performances this week. A nice cool beverage to celebrate the 55-point win. Finally, there looked to be a lot of David fatigue early on for the Blues, but Saad suddenly made them happy. 
His run was crucial, as was Cripps' bloods, sweats and tears. Bets were placed and Carlton's draft finally looks to have paid off. It wasn't even half strength this time. Walsh down with Frozenberry. Fans did go the early beat the crow, but a Taylor runner fight back wasn't enough. They were poorer than my puns. Carlton by 10 points. Wowie. Okay, today's guest is one of the most inspirational individuals the football world has ever seen. Through a five and a half year career at the highest level, he not only delivered a fairy tale flag to the Western Bulldogs, he raised awareness and recognition of the mental health pressures modern players face every day. Through his courage to speak out and share his story, this man has inspired, taught, and changed the lives of many. After retiring from the AFL at 23 years of age, he's helping others through public speaking, visiting schools, and mentoring those who need it most. I'm so excited to chat to him today. It is the one and only Mr. Tom Boyd. Tommy, how are you, mate? Well, uh, after that intro, pretty uh, pretty bloody good. It's a uh, <laughs> very nice way to be welcome into the conversation. Thanks for the intro and uh, yeah, happy to be here on this uh, lovely Tuesday morning. That's good, mate. Um, I'm happy to have you on. I know you are a busy man. Um, post-retirement, you were studying at uni, uh, I think, straight after. You've, you've been hosting a few podcasts. You were playing local footy at Norwood and you've been sharing your story, obviously, as I mentioned, through public speaking. What does a day-to-day look like for you at the moment? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's sort of evolving over time. Um, so I finished my degree sort of over the last two or three years of my AFL career and then sort of capped it all off um, and got my degree in business management um, in 2019 and then sort of midway through last year, 2020. Um, and then also went back to play at Norwood. I've since moved to play in the Amos uh, with St. Kevin's, which has been good. I've missed the last few games through injury and then we have obviously the snap lockdown and um, mm. All of the fun things that are going on in Melbourne at the moment. Um, and then uh, I've basically gone into a few different roles. Um, I've recently come on board with a company called Everperform over the last 18 months and essentially helping them build out their wellbeing um, impact in terms of data analytics and, and helping companies uh, construct the best way forward in terms of helping their staff um you know, live happy and healthy lives as well as obviously being productive. So sort of marrying up the uh, the performance element with the, the well-being and, and care element, which I'm really passionate about, which has been a, an unbelievably um, eye-opening experience for me in terms of the things that I still have to learn and um, and, and how I can help people and, and, and ever perform more broadly. So that's been a wonderful part of my day. And then obviously I've got a podcast, um, Danny Boyd, which is with Danny McGinley, a comedian which sort of covers off on a, a bit of the fun stuff surrounding the Bulldogs, which had past players, sort of notable fans and, and the like. Uh, I'm writing a book which comes out next year around May, I think, is the current release date. So that's taking up a lot of time because yeah. I actually decided for some unknown reason to actually do the writing, which okay. is um, the, the biggest element of work associated with books, obviously. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I do a lot of public speaking and that sort of comes and goes. Obviously, um the impacts of COVID and, and events has been significant, but to um to companies' credits and, and to people's credits more generally, I think there's still a massive appetite for the messaging surrounding mental health to be at the forefront of people's minds. Um, I think the the awareness piece has been wonderfully achieved over the past probably six or seven years in particular, um, and now we're really moving into the sort of advocacy and, and what I like to call the action stage, which is implementing things that can actually help people in a practical sense. So. They're just a few other things that I do as well as um, getting married at the end of the year, Ooh, sort of renovation okay. going on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, life's busy at the moment, which is great. That's, that's exactly where I want to be. That's awesome, mate. And it sounds like you're, you are enjoying life, which is, is what we want to hear. Obviously, after uh, 2019, you said it was very liberating the, the first few weeks because you finally had freedom to do whatever you wanted. So, it obviously sounds like that's still the feeling now and you, you, it's, a, it's a bit of a change from footy life where you, where you get to decide what you do day to day. We'll be back after a quick break.
yeah, I, look, I um, I certainly um, would echo those uh, comments that I made at that stage. The one caveat I would put on it is that, you know, life as a whole is obviously challenging and, and trying to create the um, the environment or the framework that leads you to being happy all the time is, you know, it's a sort of never achievable nirvana. But creating the framework that allows you to deal with little blips on the radar in terms of stress or, you know, adversity or, or difficult circumstances, failure, which is obviously a part of life as a whole, um, has been really important for me. And that's been a journey, I think, the last um, two years now um, since I retired. And, and I certainly think that following those comments about how liberating it was, I probably found myself realizing that so much of my life had been dictated by other people. And, you know, that probably echoed a little bit throughout 2020 for a lot of people where I think we all realize that our schedules are purely dictated by our work or our um, community sport or our friends or whatever other element of our lives that we rely on for structure. And that gets peeled back. It sort of really is is quite revealing, I found, um, in the sense that the responsibility is obviously on us to create um, the framework that works for us and being able to sort of empower myself in the sense that I knew what I want to do um, what I wanted to do and to build that over the past 18 months to get to the point where everything on my calendar is something that I've chosen to be a part of. Um, everything on my calendar is something that I'm passionate about. You know, I'm really lucky and, and it's obviously taken a hell of a lot of work, but um, I'm very grateful to be where I am now. Mm. There was that, that perception, Tommy, that you left the game simply due to mental health issues, but that that's not really the case, is it? You obviously had those injuries. There was the insomnia. You weren't able to get your body right, but but all up, you really didn't enjoy being a football player, did you? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's not one I get often. Most people go, oh, you retired because of mental health. And yeah. the funny thing is, I remember sitting down and going through the um, the retirement statement that we released, which yeah. is, it provided some um, detail, but it wasn't extensive. Then there was one line in it that said, um, you know, to look after my future mental and physical health or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And that obviously was picked up and ran with by the media and, and whoever was interested at the time. It was a very sort of simple way to portray the decision-making process. But the one thing I like to tell people is, you know, when I made the decision um, to retire, uh, it, it felt really quick, um, as in I made it within 24 hours. Yeah. But in all honesty, you know, like I thought about retiring in 2013 or 2014, I should say, when I first um, went to Sydney, I thought about, whether it was worthwhile playing football. And these were never actionable thoughts. They were always just like, I'm not quite sure this is for me. Mm. And then slowly but surely over time, I became illuminated to the fact that it didn't fit in that well with my personality type. I felt I didn't feel comfortable being represented as um, just an AFL footballer rather than uh, as a person. And I think that that was really difficult for me to grapple with over a long period of time. And then, the decision was actually made sitting in the car park at Victoria University up on Ballarat Road there. Uh, and I was about to go into night school and I often tell people I was probably learning like entrepreneurship or something like that, something that's really difficult to teach. Um, and I'm sure it would have been a really boring class, but to me it felt more um, in line with what I wanted to do than what football had felt for a long time. And so that's when I actually made the decision. And like like you said in the in the question, I mean, it really wasn't a simple um, equation. Oh, football's bad for my mental health. It was more like, well, what, what am I passionate about? What restrictions um, are placed on me as a footballer and what opportunity costs is it going to be to my life if I stick with football and just see out the remainder of my contract, take the money, which again, felt really inauthentic to me and, and go on with my life in a way that I wasn't necessarily um, thinking was going to last long term. So, um, you know, for me and, and my overall sensibilities, I think moving on into the uh, the private sector, as it were, it was the, the right decision and it certainly mm-hmm. paid dividends since. Yeah, I was really interested to hear you say once that I think your, your line of thinking there, you had a real pragmatic relationship with footy, but at like seven or eight years of age, you're already thinking, oh, like it wasn't like, oh, I, w- I want to play footy. That's a dream. It was more like, oh, that'd be a cool job to have. So you always thought of mm. it like that, like just a career, just a job. And then once what you mentioned as well, like you got into it and I think it was the GWS tried to extend your contract after just a couple of months already. Then you're thinking, Oh, I don't know if it's for me, you know, that, that, um, 
that thinking you had, that pr- pragmatic relationship, did that did did you develop that by yourself when you were younger, or is that something your parents taught you, or how do you, why do you think you thought about footy like that? Well, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, the origins of this thought process is difficult to ascertain exactly. I, I would say that definitely a component of it is the fact that you know from a really young age I was quite um, prolific in sport, both basketball and football. So, mm. in terms of being a professional, in terms of considering that. Um, growth was the only option. Um, enjoyment was sort of second to performance. Um, and all of those, I suppose, professional elements that are indoctrinated into young aspiring sportsmen from a really young age probably took a bit of the flavor of enjoyment out of it for me. Mm. And then the actual comments surrounding um, the GWS situation where they approached me Part of that was circumstantially just the timing point of view. They approached me for an extension in January, I think it was. So basically I'd been at the club for a month and maybe a couple of weeks. So my thought process then, and, and you know, the offer was great. Like it was a really, really good offer. And for a young player, it was, you know, most players with eyes would have lit up. But my thought process was, you know, I'm not even sure I like this thing that I'm doing yet you know I'm not even sure that it's what I want to do and and also I was very aware for some reason at the time that I hadn't actually seen what an AFL football club was like during the season um you know being there for a month and a half is not a very good window into football life and often people describe preseason as the hardest part of the year in my opinion I found it the easiest I mean certainly difficult physically but in terms of your ability to live like a balanced life it's much much better than in the season and so I sort of stacked all those things together and basically said, look, I, I'm not I'm not sure that I want to extend this so that I'm basically going to be here for four years without having enough data to um, to make a, an appropriate decision. And that sort of continued through my, my footballing life. And I think, look, sport is really, really difficult to play at the top level and it's often difficult um, to discern the difference between enjoyment and performance and the job side of things as well as the love side of things. And I think I just, along the way, really lost that ability to um, to just enjoy being out there and have the lightness of being a kid kicking the footy around, which I'd had probably a long time earlier. Mm-hmm. That you had feel, So you, you mentioned those feelings you had before you went to the Bulldogs. You obviously got offered the, the $1 million per year for seven years to go to the Dogs. Now, those feelings, you thought they were just homesickness, didn't you? You didn't think it was anything more serious than that. You just thought, oh, well, uh, I'm away from home. I'm away from family and friends. So when I go to, to Melbourne, I'm just going gonna, gonna to feel better about myself. Was, it, was that, is that true? No, what I would say is that I, I felt that something was not right. Um, you know, the three issues specifically that I was having were first with sleep um, at the Giants and then secondarily with something that I would later obviously learn was an anxiety issue. So, But at the time, I was really basically just feeling nervous all the time, um, particularly in meetings and um, and pre-sessions, pre-games, like just but much worse than I'd sort of previously dealt with. Um, you know, in many situations, that small level of anxiety that we experience before big events can be really useful. Um, but it was getting a bit out of hand for me, and I was sort of disassociating from games that mattered and sort of permeating through my week to things that I shouldn't have been anxious about. Um, and then finally, because I was sort of dealing with the sleep and then the anxiety, and then um, I had a real big drop off in energy levels and I, I really sort of was struggling to enjoy anything, which was strange for me. And then basically what happened was that I sort of started trying to work out what it was and everyone basically said that, you know, oh, it's probably homesickness. A lot of players had experienced homesickness moving up north. You know, the club was kind of building out their support structures year by year um, in reference to where they were at from a budgeting point of view. And so obviously that was just sort of three years since the inception of the club when I arrived. So there was a few little holes in the program, I would say. Um, And then essentially, again, like being really logical and sort of believing everything I was told probably from a naive point of view at that time, I was like, well, if I'm homesick, then why not move back to Victoria? And I'm not here to say that obviously the, the enormous and extraordinary offer the Bulldogs put to me wasn't the driving factor behind moving home. 
But I'd already considered the likelihood of returning to Victoria at some stage. And the funny thing was, and I'm sort of going through this process with my editor at the moment, and the one thing that stands out to me when I think about um, that period of time and actually making the decision to come back to Victoria, the the sort of excitement around being um, in Victoria at a club that didn't have 25 first-round draft picks and also being back near my family and friends mm. was at least a massive component, if not the main component in terms of moving. Yeah. Um, and then the money is really hard to sort of get your head around. So it's not as tangible in terms of an 18-year-old thinking about what a million dollars a year means as people think. So I think once I'd sort of gotten all of that together in my head, then moving back to Victoria was was a pretty easy decision, though the process obviously is particularly difficult. So yeah. um, quite an interesting period of time in my life for sure yeah what was 2016 like because obviously for the club it was a fairy tale year um but for you well you said it was it was kind of like you know paper over the cracks for you, you, you because you were swept up in the the emotion of the year was it actually enjoyable that season or you still were thinking you know this is not what i want to do no this is um this is a really good question and it's a very distinct point because it's sort of plays into the, uh, I don't know, the hypocrisy of my own um, my own story, which is obviously that football wasn't enjoyable. But, you know, what I try and tell people is that obviously this stuff is complicated and um, that period of time in particular is probably a positive blip on the radar because of the overwhelming sense of support and positivity and momentum and pick out any number of superlatives you can use to describe the Bulldogs of that period of time. But Basically, what I like to say is that there was some really significant issues sort of accumulating in my life throughout 2015. Um, and then throughout 2015, 16, in that preseason, it started to get particularly bad. And then throughout 2016, basically up until probably the latter end of the year, I was suffering quite significant issues. But again, once you get swallowed up by the emotion of that period of time, I think covering up the cracks is a pretty apt way to put it. And um, unfortunately for me, or fortunately for me, I think that I got to be a part of that. That was something I'm ex- extraordinarily grateful for. But unfortunately for me, in the other side or the flip side of the coin, is that it really didn't give me um, the motivation or the inclination to really focus in and deal with this issues I was facing in any serious way. Mm-hmm. And so then basically going in after five or six weeks off, um, the emotion of the grand final two surgeries, um, a limited off-season, limited pre-season, and then diving into 2017. It sort of was an accumulation of all of the things that were going wrong and then obviously led to me taking some time away in that season. So, you know, I I don't know. I I really am grateful for that period of time, 2016. I'm so happy that I was a part of such a significant day in the club's history. Mm -hmm. And I'm also grateful for the people and the um, the impact we had on the broader Bulldogs community. and, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but it sort of is a really interesting point where I suppose the, the lesson for me is obviously that positivity is, is so contagious as well as negativity. And so from our own perspectives, we can make such a big inf- impact on people's lives in that way because that positive energy certainly did make a massive impact on me coping at that period of time. But unfortunately, you know, there is a limit to how long these things can last and the, uh, the chickens came home to roost, I suppose, in 2017. Mm. Well, you said you said you're grateful to be part of that day, but a lot of people are grateful for you and what you did on that day. You you probably should have got the Norm Smith, and you you helped uh, obviously break that drought, the first flag since 1954. Like you mentioned, the next year was the, the surgeries. You had a couple of those, um, so you didn't really have a, a pre-season. Couldn't get your body right. That that year was that when you you reached out more. I think it was Lisa Stephen was the the psychologist mm-hmm. at the club, and she really. You know, changed your life in a, in a big way was it was it reaching out to her that helped you get through that year yeah I, look I, mean, I think there's a lot of things that helped me get through the year I mean the footballers at the club yep. we had a wonderful group of players my family my fiance Anna yep. I mean there's a thousand things that were um, in the plus column but one thing that I, I will say from a decision making point of view um, you know I, I was lucky I had a relationship with Lisa that extended beyond um a regular relationship um, in terms of I didn't have to call her up out of the blue when I was really, really struggling in 2017. She'd obviously been a part of the leadership 
and strategy of the football club. Um, she'd helped me previously in terms of mindset and basically um, performance um, in terms of goal kicking or staying in the moment and, and understanding some of the sort of more, um, what do you call it, neuroscience of, of being an athlete, um, which was really useful for me. And so I had that existing relationship, but the one probably defining moment was when I was basically gotten to my wit's end in the sense of, you know, I hadn't slept in weeks and um, it's quite well documented some of the things that I was going through at that period of time. But I did have the ability to reach out um, and ask her to, to help me turn things around. And um, in no small part, I think that was probably the real inflection point in terms of my own personal journey with my mental health and her um, ability to help guide me through the, the political atmosphere at any football club that would exist in terms of a player of my um, pay scale taking time away to deal with mental health was really useful um, navigating some of the more practical elements of you know statements and um, decision making surrounding whether to come out and tell everyone how it was actually what was actually going on or basically to um, to provide some sort of gentle cover-up was was really useful and then obviously to support me on my journey back to being you know something that resembled the person I'd been was was really really integral to my journey. So, in no small part, Lisa was yeah a massive massive assistance to me, and you know it still is. I still see her to this day. I've got an appointment with her this afternoon, actually. Oh, so, nice. um, more than happy to uh to endorse Lisa as a wonderful part of my life. Yeah, great, Tommy. I know you're a busy man, so I'll try and be quick. I could talk to you all day, mate. Really, but a couple of things I really wanted to know. So, um, you explained that you wished uh, you knew these lessons when you were younger, going into the the footy world, and you learned these things later on. If you could speak to a, a fifteen or sixteen year old Tom Boyd right now, what what things would you tell him? Yeah, I love this question, and the reason I do is that. Um, there's two ways you can frame it. You can either say, oh, what would you change? What would you do different? Which I think is is a somewhat useless exercise because it's obviously not plausible. But when you talk about feeding information back to young people, I do explicitly often talk about that, you know, even in a very well-rounded school with a really um, holistic learning um, curriculum at Luther College um, and lucky to go to a, you know, pseudo-private school of sorts and, um, you know, strong focus on the person. We never heard anything about this. And it's, it's something that I've been openly, um, uh, or I've been open about previously, which is that, you know, my impression of people who suffered with mental health as a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old was basically the people in my school who were so afflicted by some sort of mental illness that they couldn't participate in regular schooling. And I was you know, completely ignorant or naive to the suffering of probably you know, a large cohort of the kids surrounding me. And for me to have a better understanding of the scale of it, I think is useful um, for understanding the symptoms of those who are dealing with it, very useful. Um, and also for the ability to identify some of the challenges that I may be facing or be, um, you know, exposed to in the future would have been amazingly useful because as difficult as it is to reach out, as difficult as it is to um, to cope with some of these issues, the one thing that I often really think about in my own journey is the fact that the most difficult thing was admitting that there was anything really going on. And the reason for that was twofold. I mean, probably being told that it was homesickness and two, being in an environment where performance is obviously the number one priority. I really didn't want to admit to myself, and this is no one else's um fault or there's not really a fault or blame to be had but more so there's no no one else to blame in the sense that I just really didn't understand what was going on and I really didn't want to deal with it because I thought it would go away I hoped it would go away um, and unfortunately it didn't it got worse and it got to the point where you know there were some really significant moments that I had to make decisions to obviously impact my future and if I'd known I think I could have been more proactive if I'd known I would have been much more open and I would have been more capable of asking people for help, whether that be friends, family or professionals. And um, we all go through these learning experiences in our lives and I think it's really, really important to um, to value the lessons that we've learned, but also to understand that if you can, if you can teach someone a lesson that um, you took 10 years too long to learn um, when they're 15 or 16, you know, you can potentially save them a whole heap of suffering. And I think that's really, really the integral part of what I try and do, particularly when I'm talking to uh, the school students that I do. 
Tommy, before I ask you uh, 10 quick questions, which I do all with all my guests, uh, you're obviously close with a few boys at the club now. Are the dogs set for another flag this year? It's a good question. Um, I'm very close with quite a few of the players, and to hear the just logistical nightmare of getting up to play West Coast in Perth on the weekend mm-hmm. and then to go out and perform like they did means that there's something in there beyond the tangible um, kicks, marks, and handballs. And I, I think that's um, that's the most powerful thing the clubs can have, the story behind um, who they are and, and where they're going. And so I think that's um, a really good indication that they're definitely going to be there come come the business end of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that would be my thought process. So I think they're certainly amongst the, uh, the top few for sure. Nice one. I've still got the Tigers. A lot of people have jumped off, but I think if it's not the Tigers, I think the Doggies are in with a real chance. So we'll see what happens. Ten quick questions, Tommy. Take about 30 seconds, mate, then I'll uh, I'll let you go, all right? Uh, what is your favourite food? Um, Mexican. Your favourite place to go for a surf? Uh, the Mentawi Islands in Indonesia. Nice. What's your favourite TV show? How Much Mother. Who is your idol? My dad. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Melbourne. Nice. Uh, what's your favourite family tradition? I know you're a big family man. Christmas Eve, which is a Danish tradition um, for my mum's side. Oh, nice. Are you watching Denmark in the Euros? Oh, I don't really watch too much stuff out there, unfortunately. Oh, well, they're doing well, so mate, you'll be happy with that. Um, <laughs> your favourite teammate at the Bulldogs? Mitch Wallace. Your favourite quote? Um, there's a long quote by Matthew McConaughey about chasing his hero, which is himself in 10 years' time, which I won't fully articulate, but for all of those who listen, look it up. It's very good. Uh, your favourite footballer growing up? <sighs> Probably Chris Judd once he came across to Carlton if I supported them when I was younger. Yep. And last one, what is your favourite song, Tom? It's a great question. No idea. American Pie, Don McLean, the special place in my heart. Yeah. But maybe that. Yeah. Brilliant, mate. Hey, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, mate. I, I appreciate your time. You are an inspiration to many, and I know your story would have meant a lot to the, uh, the listeners out there today. So thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me and, uh, and good luck with everything in the future. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Boys, here we are. A little bit of pep in my step this week. Last week I was a little bit tired. It is time for my second favourite part of the show. I get to chat to you boys about the round that was. How are we today? The sun is shining. Yeah, we're in the midway point of the season. We've got some sun out in winter. We're not in lockdown. Everyone else is. Life's good. Yeah, here in Melbourne, life is good. Nico, you think the Hawks are going to win the flag after Sunday? My God, Gordo, before it, yeah. I thought I was on the way to Futsal. I missed the second half. I had to watch it on replay. I was looking through Twitter. I thought the Hawks had won the flag. The amount of tweets that were coming out of Nick's profile was ridiculous. And we'll get to that because I think it's about enjoying the little wins. Round got, 15, no, they have to round 15 you've got to enjoy the little wins. They have it's to a long season. It. They have to. They've had a long season. They've had a, a Nico. Anyway, yes, yeah, so I'm glad to be on the show. Thanks for asking, Jimmy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I did enjoy that win, but I think the one downside to that was that it did keep Richmond in the top eight, which brings me to my next point. I've got a little announcement to make. Oh, here we go. Jimmy, Gordon. This is good radio. He's pulling out. (laughs) My red fine liner. Oh, here we go. My trusty red fine liner. Yeah. It's literally a red fine liner, which is great for the viewers. I've got here too. Oh, no. Top secret, it says on the front. Yeah, this is... Can you rustle the paper in the mic so we can actually... Yeah, yeah there's yeah. actual paper here. This is a list oh, of God. every single team in the AFL. And I, what I do with this pen is I cross out the teams that I don't think will win the premiership. As of today. So, today... Yeah. This line is yeah. going through the Richmond Football Club. That's it. 
It's done. The line is in. The dynasty is over. over. The dynasty is over. The greatest dynasty of all time stands in the hands of the Hawthorne Football Club. (laughs) Three Peters, something that Richmond won't be at the end of the season. It's done. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, it's done. That was it. It's done. That was it. We might as well pack I've up. I've made the call. Uh, that was <laughs> The line is in. Nico, we'll talk about Richmond in a second. Um, I don't know if I want to cross to you now, but uh, give us your hero. My hero? Oh, jeez. I need to calm down. It's probably St. Kilda, wasn't it? It was. Oh, mate. My hero was St. Kilda. My highlight was Richmond losing, and my low light was the fact you guys couldn't kick a goal. But in all seriousness. Hey, we kicked two. <laughs> In all seriousness, my hero was Dane Zorka. I thought he was the underrated star from Brisbane's win on Thursday night. He was so influential. Literally 50% of his disposals were score involvements. He had 12 tackles. There you go. 12 tackles. 12 tackles. Here we go. 30 pressure acts. Mm. So as the captain of the Brisbane Football Club in a big game. He led by example, and he did complete a round high of 174 supercoach points, which was great for my team. He was my captain, actually. So, yeah, that was my hero. Well done. Well done. And well done to Dane Zorko. Well done to the whole Brisbane um, team because they played outstanding footy. It's not often we see Geelong get pumped, do we? But they outplayed them from the word go and their their forward started firing. The last couple of seasons, um, boys, we, well, Gordo especially, was very critical about Brisbane's efficiency in front of the big sticks. Mm-hmm. They've seemed to fix it up a little bit. And now Joe Danaher there, kicked four, I think, on Thursday. Kicked four. He was strong. Hipwood kicked a couple. Um, they're starting to connect from midfield uh, to attack, and that's that's the dangerous part. And we said that all sides who um, win a premiership need an edge or need something about them. For Brisbane, it's like it's that tough, ruthless edge, and they've been able to do it against a contested team like Geelong. Um, I think it was great. I think it was it, it wasn't great for my tipping because I tipped the Cats stupidly, but it was a good performance. Uh, Gordon, you agree with that? You're nodding away. Who was your hero? Uh, my hero was Scott Lysett, and it's a uh, one for the Ruckman. Yeah. So apparently at the start of this year, I believe the rule changes, everyone said that well, we went through a week where the Rocks played well and everyone said the Rocks the most important position on the ground and then they changed their mind and said, actually, Rocks are completely useless. We don't need them anymore. <laughs> and now if you don't have a Rockman like Richmond, it's the reason why you're losing. So Scott Lies have put, put Rockman back in the spotlight for a good reason by being clutch, by being mm. skillful, by taking the moment to shine. And he says, he said after his uh, post-match interview, he said, if you, it doesn't matter if you're over 200 centimetres, you can still be classy, you can still be skillful, you can still win the game. That's exactly what he did. And he kept Port in the hunt and now in the four with a nice oh. drop punt. One step, One drop step. pump. Brilliant. More like Johnny Wilkinson than like an NFL <laughs> footballer. Just through the big sticks, cool, calm, collected. And he was Port. happy about it too, wasn't oh, he? And as that? you should be, yeah. as you should be. When mm. you get to win the game of football for your club, that's what you grow up wanting to do and you got to live out that dream. So uh, an unlikely hero, no, absolutely not. He's been a star player for the Port Adelaide Football Club all year and he uh, topped it off on the weekend with that performance. So, it was good. Nick, know. did you hear his post-match? He said, that one's for the Ruckman. Doesn't matter if you're over 200 centimetres. I uh, did it for you guys. That was brilliant. I loved a little bit of uh, honesty or banter, whatever you want to call it after the match. Mm. It was a clutch goal. It was crucial, but a great kick, mate. Straight, yeah, off one step, like you mentioned, straight through. Good performance by Port against Sydney. They're two top eight sides who – that was probably one of the games of the season, I thought. But it's only the second team that they've beat, beaten in the eight. Uh, the other one being Richmond, who were depleted at the time. And after they lost to St Kilda, Nico's put a line through them, so it doesn't even really matter. Uh, that's the question when they face tougher opposition. Um, they haven't been able to do it. Their, so th- their forward half game is unbelievable, right? And that was what – Basically, they kept it. They won from the stoppage, and they kept it in their forward half last year. That's why they finished on top. Hasn't been as good this season, and they've lost against good opposition. Do you still reckon? You still think they're contenders? That that game there just proves it to you. Well, that game proves that they can play very, very good football. And I think at this stage, everyone's being everyone. Like there is no clear. As much as Melbourne's on top, they've dropped games lately. That gives you a little bit of doubt. Mm. They don't have their funnels history behind them. All the rest of the teams, the Brisbane's, the Ports, the Geelong's. Richmond's in dire states, apparently. <laughs> Sydney can't can't do it anymore, apparently, even though, you know, Buddy almost single-handedly won that game off his own boot. That's the right. dogs. 
The dogs are okay. flying under the radar because they beat the West Coast, but does that even count because West Coast's done? It's the weird part. There's like no two things can exist at the same time anymore. You can't mm. be a good team who beats a bad team. It's, you know, one discounts the other. So yeah. no one knows who win the No one knows. All right, Nico, you know what your highlight was though. You do, that's for sure. You both do. Uh, yeah, well, we It was we Timmy it. O. Timmy O's mark. Text messages coming through. Then we didn't reply. So there was Facebook messages. Then he posted the mark on <laughs> it, our wall. It was the mark of the year. That's it. <laughs> and I know you're not going to agree. And I'd like to get Gordo's opinion okay. on this because he usually has an unbiased view on these yeah. sorts of things because I know you're biased. First Jimmy. I've heard. Um, biased, uh, most biased <laughs> man in the business. But, yeah, Timmy O's, mate. <laughs> he was. This is the man who made it the Hawthorne show. All right, go <laughs> No, mate, he was running back with the flight of the ball, stood on someone's shoulders. We're talking about a guy who's like six foot four and he stood on a bloke's shoulders who is six foot four as well. Um, Gravity was pulling him one way. He was leaning the other way. He (laughs) got an extra step up on an airborne Bruce as well, who... Which, which was incredible. Uh, so, yeah, and he managed to keep his balance, hold the mark, and I don't see how that does not win mark of the year. And that's no discredit yeah. to the two Richmond marks, oh, Bolton like and Rewald. In their own respective years, they all win mark of the year. They're all brilliant. But I think this but one this is... This one's wearing a golden brown jumper, Gordo. Mm, so, so have a look. So what, well, you, what did you make of it, Jimmy? Oh, fantastic mark. Definitely mark of the week. Oh, yeah, it's definitely mark of the it's week. That's mark an insult. Week. That's a slap no, in the so face. Any other year, this wins mark of the year. If the Bolton mark and the Rewalt mark don't happen. When Bolton took the mark, we thought that is mark of the year. No one can beat that. Then Rewalt took it running. When you're talking about running back, you're talking about running back with courage and the leap and the connection and the beauty of it. <laughs> Unbelievable. No one beats that, right? And then you've got Tim O'Brien. Brilliant. No doubt. Fantastic mark. And you know what? We've still got eight weeks of football left. Yeah, so there might be someone might do something else crazy as well. So Bolton's they was might. higher. Jack Rewalt's was more courageous and more spectacular. But again, like with Bolton, he he did um, have a few seconds to size up his uh, run up, his leap. Whereas, um, yeah, O'Brien ran like fifty meters, didn't have time to think about it, and just stood on someone's shoulders. Incredible thought, stuff! It was brilliant. Yeah. So, who wins it, Gordo? Then, as the unbiased man. Of the podcast. I'm unsure how this will pan out at the end of the year because as we found out, like a Collingwood chess mark can yeah, well, usurp everything. <laughs> it's not it's not voted by the fans. No, it's not. It? There's no, nominated it's by a, the fans, but there's like there's there's a panel, but there's about is there three or something wild cards that can be nominated if they're yeah. not selected as the mark of the week. But you know. it's funny. When when the Bolton mark did happen at the start of the year, I actually did tweet that it was the mark of the year. Yeah, you did. And then the rewalt mark happens and I'm like, oh, actually that's a better mark than Bolton's. Yeah. That, now, that should now win. You've, now you've seen... And now I've seen this one, but I think this one is definitely better than Bolton's mark. It might not be as good as Rewalt's. It Ooh, depends It depends what tune, sort... Yeah. No, no, no. It's your no. flavour. It's your flavour. Do you want, dep- do you want yeah, courageous what do you want? or do you want like an art, like it's That's an art it. piece or is it the context behind the spectacular it? spectacular sort of mark yeah. or do you want... Yeah, or do you want courageous. the mark of the year, which is Jack Rewalt's? All right, uh... Gordo, what was your highlight of the weekend? Well, my heart's continuation of this podcast, really. We've been talking about a lot of the things that isn't, you know, we're not trying to predict the premiership in, in round 15. Mm. And this was a great round for that because most of the games that were the important games, our indicated games, they were over very quickly, you know. Doggies got rid of West Coast quite simply. The Lions got rid of the Cats. So it was the other games. It was your Carlton Adelaide's. It was mm. your Port Sydney's. Frio Collingwood. Frio Collingwood. Yeah, yeah. It was games around that that filled out the weekend. Our first full weekend of football was back. The yeah. sun was out in Melbourne. We're about to have all the football come to Melbourne and we're ready for, for just lots of good footy to enjoy. Sometimes it's just important to relax, not think too far ahead in the future and just, you know, go to a game or Absorb watch a game it. on Saturday, on That's Sunday. Right. Savour it. Enjoy it for what it is. Football yeah, I lover. thought it was great. I, yeah. thought, I thought it was a good weekend of footy, apart from there Richmond. Was, there was I six, mean, that games, ruined my six out of nine games were under 20 points. Yeah, no, they were, it was good footy. It was, that, that was the only the thing that made it bearable because after your, your Friday night's ruined after that performance, at least you can sit through some good footy. I thought they were good games. I, I liked the way Collingwood played. Absolutely. Especially more direct, more forward, um, and they're they're pretty vulnerable at the back, which I thought Frio were great. And Gordo tipped them; they put them in the eight at the start of the season. Do you remember that, Nico? And we all mm-hmm. laughed. You laughed at him. I didn't. I had a giggle, but um, they could have been if they weren't injured. But with Frio, as we know, you've got to take that into consideration because Frio are always injured. And after they lost five, 
And there's somehow level change. points with the Tigers. Mm. They are, which you like to mention a lot. And you put the red line through the Tigers, so therefore they, they, oh, have, for they the have premiership. Yeah. And once they once this goes global in training, we did take a, a live Instagram well, you took uh, a video, TV video which is of that. Great. <laughs> so uh, once that happens, Richmond will give up the ghost, and then Frey will be sneaking into the eight. That's and, right. Uh, Egg will be on faces. Good footy is good days, happy days. Uh, Nico, what was your low light? Bring us down a bit. Yeah. Well. In the week where we were lucky enough to celebrate Burgoyne's 400th, it, it was a low light to see Mark Murphy go down with injury because he is five games away from his 300 mark mm. and there's eight games left in the season and he went down with a calf injury yeah. on Sunday night. So that will may keep him happen. out for a few weeks and he may not reach that 300-game milestone, which will yeah, it'll, it'll be a massive shame. Mm. Yeah, no, it will be a shame. He's, uh, you've got to celebrate these champions as well, especially Murph, who's been there through. I mean, there hasn't been great times since, what, 1995 for Carlton. So he's been there through dark times. Yeah. Uh, Number one draft pick. He stayed loyal. He did. He did. And and he was a bit, like, rejuvenated after Teague came in. Played a different – he wasn't playing a, the role that he preferred under Brendan Bolton. In the and midfield, he the, went yeah. forward yeah, that's lately. Right. Anyway, that's right. So yes. I think, uh, yeah, he's a club champ. You want him to get to that milestone. Hopefully, we don't know. The yeah, hopefully, of it. hopefully he gets through. You don't do you, do it doesn't sound like Teague's very keen to nurse him there. What would you do in Teague's shoes? Like if he comes back, so, you know, yeah. it's probably two to three weeks, so you've got five weeks left. Do you say you're playing seniors, get to 300, or do you say medical sub. earn your spot? I'd get him to 300. Medical I'd medical sub him because yeah. now the little ploy, you can like you can sit on the bench and still get there. Don't but rush I wouldn't, I'd hate for him to celebrate. In fact, there. you can play a half in the twos and then just yeah, get, him, get him to play a half in the VFL. Mays. And then see that? Mays for Port Adelaide. Played half a game in the sand, forgot the call, said, hey, mate, you're, uh, you're the medical sub. It works Get well. down here now. So, yeah, yeah it works all right. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd let Teague do his job. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be a David King and tell him what to do. Um, what's your low light, Gordo? My low light is continuing to be there's no sunshine on the Gold Coast. And it's getting – it's not – Is this two weeks in a row? Two weeks in a row because they didn't do what we wanted them to do. And that wasn't – they didn't have to win. This I don't believe in these must-win games unless you're talking about like getting into the eight, getting into the four. They're so far away from that, it doesn't matter. But what happens is it continues this talk in the middle of the season – and then off the back of the Tassie talk, so the two the two juggernauts of journalistic thunderstorms are coming together, and soon, what I what, worst case scenario for Gold Coast is that they get rid of the god that is Stuart Dew down there, <laughs> and you really and then, love that documentary. And then they reset, and so then they go back into another five years of rebuilding and players leaving, and then it becomes really well. Then we have to give the ten just Tassie. Mm. So if we want the Gold Coast Suns to exist, and maybe we don't, maybe we want the team to go to Tassie. Maybe it's time for the Tassie Suns. Who knows? But there's no sun in Tassie. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah. But there's yeah weeks like that, as we said last week against North Melbourne, and it wasn't it wasn't just because they lost. It was how they lost. They they have a better team on paper. They have higher draft picks. They have better talent. Apparently, but they didn't run out the game. They weren't clutch. They weren't they weren't particularly skillful. They weren't particularly smart. They were outworked, outthought outperformed by North Melbourne, who, you know, three weeks ago was apparently the worst AFL standard club in the in the history of the game. Mm. What a long history that is. So I don't know I don't know what you do with the Suns at the moment because yeah. I did say last week when we were talking about this actually that if they do lose to North, you do have to question the coaching staff and Stewie Jew. Yeah, I think you've called for his sacking about five uh, times. No, no, right? I don't want him to get sacked. I like Stewie Jew. I think he's a good coach. He had good experience when he was at the Swans. Yeah. Um, but like Gordo said, Gordo explained it well. Uh, they shouldn't be losing to North Melbourne with the talent they have, but for some reason they just don't bring the effort. And what do you put that down to? I think you put that down to the way they've been coached. Yeah, I, I had a different view. I thought it didn't matter the performance. I thought the result because the loss there proves that or what it looks like from the outside is North is further on in their um, development than the Suns are and there's no excuses for that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I would have just liked them to get the win and forget about it. That was horrible. You can't lose to North. Like that. Well, the ball, but like they, they had like, the they, wind in the last quarter. They were wind in the last quarter. They all lived in their 50 for like 10 minutes let's and they re- couldn't find a goal. Let, let's rewind to the start of the season. The Suns were meant to be pushing for the eight. Yeah. They were meant to be knocking on the door. They were door. your boys. You had them. 
I had them just outside the eight, around tenth, I think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they sh- they should be, and you know that that's rock bottom for the season for them. It is. You you can't lose to because that had to act as their grand final type of thing. So we can't lose this one if we're going to prove that we've actually progressed. Mm. We can't lose to North, a team that is in their first real season of rebuilding mm. under a new coach. Like, there's no excuse for that. But good on North. They won the game. Fantastic. Yeah. Give them a little clap. Well done, boys. All right. Hey, I've got some quick questions for you guys. Always quick questions. Always quick questions. How much can we read into to, into Geelong's performance on Thursday night? I don't so know. does it worry you at all? Or it's no. just like, ah, it's just a blip. Don't worry about it. I think, it's just, I think it's a classic blip game. Yeah. And I think the hardest thing to do in this current era of AFL is to win against good teams interstate. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. They did that the week before with no sleep, but yeah, yeah. so that's what I mean. So it's going to be hard to it's back up oh, two 100%. weeks in a row. I'm I'm sticking with what they what I said about them over the last few weeks. Really, when they go up against teams that you know are, are a high pressure side, like mm. like Brisbane showed on Thursday night, and what the Dogs and the D's are, um, Geelong crumble. They have they've shown it this year. They don't like going up against pressure teams, and that's why I don't have them as my premiership favorite. And yeah, once again, they they show Just that that's the case. Do you still have Melbourne? Is it Melbourne? Your um, yeah, I, I still have Melbourne for the flag, okay. but the dogs and the lions are yeah. right up there. My only concern about Geelong is it's a weird one, but I don't think they've got a ruckman. I don't think Blitzarves is not a ruckman, and you can't rely on Reece Stanley every couple of weeks to have a great game. And they really got found out on Thursday night. They need to sort out their ruck. That's that's a big thing for me. I think. Anyway, uh, was Carlton. Was that win enough to suggest that they are on the right path or it does nothing for you guys to change opinion? In isolation, nothing at all. Okay. They, they beat Adelaide. They should be beating Adelaide. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people got carried away with the Carlton win as well. I mean, they, they played one good quarter, kicked eight goals, and then they lost the other three quarters. So. If anything, it's actually more concerning. More yeah. concerning. Because they, they didn't, like, if you go process over result, they got the W. But that doesn't solve anything. It was a ten-point win. They didn't. They didn't. The they didn't do anything to suggest that they've worked out how to play better football. They just played against a worse side. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about last year's wooden spooners, the and Carlton beaten by ten points in front of a home crowd. I mean, you'd expect yeah. them to win. I don't think ten points. You, you would expect convincing. them to win. The thing, what they always have lapses in games, and they got out to a big lead, and you've kind of felt that Adelaide are going to come back because that's mm. what Carlton do, but. What you'd be impressed is is that Adelaide got out to an early lead and then Saad took it upon himself to say, hey, I'm going to get us back in there. That running goal, that really turned it. Cripps had a good game after a, a stressful week. Um, they got done in clearances pretty heavily, but it means their work on the outside of packs, which is normally a problem, was actually good. So you can look at little things, but I guess... It, they need to put together, could, you know, yeah. four weeks of good football. Yeah. And, and, and from they that, lose probably that 12 quarters worth yeah. of good football from 16, not... Not one a week to win a game against bottom four sides. Yeah. Um, after their win against West Coast over there in Perth, do you think that the Bulldogs deserve to be flag favourites? And the flag favourite, like I said, changes every single week. But it was a good win. Absolutely. Mm. And they're flag up there. Favorites? They're up there in the long list of teams well, Nico, that can win okay, it this year. Nico's got Melbourne. It's a, it's a, and it's Brisbane. A and I, think, I, think, I think it's so a race for okay, three. I think Melbourne. we're down to three. You've got Melbourne. Yep. That's your selection. Who's your selection? Is it still Geelong? You I'd Geelong. say it's just still Geelong at the moment. Yeah. Still Geelong. Okay. I'm happy to ride that wave. I'm still going Richmond. Uh, <laughs> I'm not jumping off yet. You're beating a dead hey, horse, that's my friend. Fine. I told, I'll beat it until it's you, actually you dead. There's still a pulse. Kilda. There is a pulse. We haven't actually spoken about it's Richmond. It's still breathing. Yeah. It is still breathing. Um, oh, you want to talk about Richmond? Yeah, let's do it okay. while we're on the topic. I, was, Look, I, I lost my train of thought now, but I was about to say something groundbreaking and you've interrupted it. What were we talking about? Flag? Oh, demons. I think... Demons looks look like they're a little bit cooked at the moment. It is hard to sustain, uh, you know, um, good pressure like this all the way through. I think now if they they need to rest, like now they're they're a game clear on top. They need to rest some players because they they got the job done against Essendon. They look a little bit cooked. They reminded me a little bit about like Richmond in two thousand and eighteen, where they got they just rolled over the finish line and they were spent. So hopefully they've got some opportunities. Kind of yeah. I mean, um, it's a bit. I, th- I think it's a bit early to start resting players, but um, what they are doing is they're winning games while not playing their best okay. footy, which yep. is a good sign as well. Yeah, right. What do you want me to say about Richmond? What do you and want to ask me Richmond, about Richmond? I, I don't know, mate. Like you, you still have them as pre- <laughs> premiership favourites. Yeah, I mate, they lost to St Kilda. This is a team that you've yeah. been bashing 
personally. Both I have, you have been no, bashing. No, I've been trying to stick up for them for a while. And you kicked two goals. I know. No, it was two revolting. Two goals, man. Nico, it was revolting. Come on. And I will be honest with the first time this season, this is the first bit of doubt that crept in watching this. It hurt me. It it really dug deep, this effort. To kick two goals against St Kilda was horrific. It was disappointing. So what makes you think you can win the flag? Well, because Richmond have turned it around before and because every single premiership year there's been something that's motivated the side. Now, as it as people chase you and as you've already tasted success, you need things to motivate you even more. Now, maybe this is the loss. I'm praying to God that this is the loss that motivates this side to step to the next level. The thing, Nico, that is keeping faith is that Rowan Marshall and Paddy Ryder together, when they've played full games together this season, three, they've won all three. They make a huge difference. Richmond did not have a Ruckman, well, that's a what, proper that's Ruckman. What, that's what my next question was going to be. Nankervis is so crucial to this side. It was a wrong choice to debut Samson Ryan on a wet night against a, a duo like that in the ruck. He zero had zero touches. touches which is fine. Why do it, though? Jonathan exactly. Brands had zero there's touches. So many, there's so many why do it like decisions this year for Richmond. I think Hardwick's going to be complacent a bit. That was oh, a bit complacent. I think that was a silly call. He, he thought that he, he could throw in any kid and they'd perform Every well loss in a good is a team because he's, <laughs> he's surrounded by Every good players. Every loss is a gift. Okay, that, that was a big that, that gift. We got a real big early Christmas present. It was said, a wake-up hey, call. Here's a wake-up call of a gift, and we can't get complacent. Boys, pull your finger out. Maybe you're not well, as good as you think you mate, are. The dynasty has to end at some point, and for it Brisbane and Hawthorne, it ended um, in the fourth or fifth year, fifth, year. Fifth, fifth year, and this is the fifth year for Richmond. Gordon, I said I wrote about this, right? In the Roman Empire, there was poor people who weren't getting enough uh, money and they wanted the empire to fall, right? And they were waiting. They were seeing cracks. They're like, "Oh, this is infighting." They like fifty years early. They were calling the, that it was over, but it wasn't over. People want it to be <laughs> over, and it, this oh. is a big crack appearing. It doesn't mean it's going to split open yet. But also, there is when, still when you time. say when you say over, just because if Richmond doesn't win the flag this year, that doesn't mean it's over. Yeah, well, the, that, when Nick is saying the dynasty's over, this does, yeah, exactly. You're is not it, going to three P. Okay, yeah, the three Pete is what you want, that's, really. That's as, as we said. Like, if you want to be compared to the, the greats, you need a well three truly over, uh, over, open. It is well and truly open. The window. It is. Whether I wouldn't write you off next Richard. year. No way. But um, what was I going to say now? Yeah, oh, it's not relevant because you forgot, Nico. <laughs> no, I did that before as well. But you know, David Asprey is a huge. Oh yeah, that's a right. huge inclusion this week. That we've been missing him for a while. We've, Richmond's been missing him for a while. I've got to stop. But these injuries coming in, There's it, heaps of injuries. Broad injured yeah, now. Bolters. I mean, injured. A lot, I understand. All that. the top teams are facing injuries at the moment. Let's just put that out there. I mean, the dogs are missing Dunkley and Trelaw, but all all the injuries coming for Richmond. It, I think that's a sign that it is. You know. Coming to it, coming to an end. Your chances Look at the this grin season. On his face, he loves it. That's all I'm saying. And it, your your narrative changes when you talk about Melbourne tiring out. Oh, I thought you were when good. you talk about <laughs> Melbourne tiring out, and you know it looks well, like they're the, they're not playing to their best. The but Richmond amount of two players goals Melbourne, in the same Kilda. In the whole competition. They've yeah. used the least amount. They need. Yeah, they might. That might be the one thing that yeah. cost them. And then Richmond, you're saying, oh, it's just a crack, and they can use it as motivation. Yeah, they might. But never, Nico. It's fine. They've well, got I can't it, they've Melbourne got it. use it as motivation as well when they what lose to Collingwood. Yeah, no, they might. They might. That's the thing. It's it's <laughs> you use different motive. They've got diff- every team has different motivation, and yeah. it's harder to you know that as a Hawthorne fan, it's hard to do it. It's hard to win it the three peak. It is, and I'm, is I'm just saying, you guys, you guys look Richmond exhausted. Richmond look exhausted. That's it. Nico, will you get a three peak tattoo if Richmond win the flag this year? No, no, I won't. That's just silly, Gordon. No, but you. You nearly well, had a neck tap the other year, well, and you nearly. I was you're super gonna, confident. Well, if you're so confident about Richmond winning the flag, what, you know, yeah. why don't why don't you make a bet? What bet do you want? I'm not. Yeah. I'm not stupid. <laughs> they're still my tip. But what do you what do you want the bet to be, Nico? You can come back with to me next week with the bet. Well, listeners, actually, listeners, it's the Hashtag it's the revival session. of the footy mates, the footy <laughs> mates wager. What should Nick and Jimmy? Wager on the Richmond three P potential this year. I've still no, got faith. Hashtag the gym. Station. Last quick question before we get to two very quick emails and tweets. Okay, is Leon Cameron next in line for the axe? And Nick, and as we speak, Gordon sharpening it. It is. It is interesting. <laughs> it's very peculiar when a club plays worse, the stronger their injury list is. Mm. 
It doesn't make much sense. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't it? Because we, you were right, actually, for the first time ever. <laughs> God, a few weeks back, I said, they're playing well. Maybe everything's starting to come together. You were very critical of Leon Cameron, and they had injuries everywhere, worse than Richmond, and they were winning games. Now that the senior players are back, seems to be last year's GWS. Do they have an ego problem? Ooh. Is it the ego of some of their top players? Well, is it the ego of some of the players, or is it the ego of the coach? Like, do, I think... When you're super young and you're playing for spots, you you play whatever style you're told to. Like you earn your stripes, and then you can become a tissel. We saw this to, to cross over codes. We see this with all the big the big nations when big players from big clubs come and have to play country in European football. Mm-hmm. Often it's tricky because you have to sacrifice your own game, whatever. AKA France. Which AKA you said France this, today. This morning. Yeah. And so I think the Giants suffer from that. They suffer from it's very hard to try and convince them. You know, there's, there's room for one Toby Green per team, not six, mm. and they have six. So, so, so back to the question. Back to the question. You think the axe is going to fall on Leon Cameron? Fairly yes. or unfairly, it kind of has to because you want to. You're going to keep players. So he'll the be coach. the first coach sack. That's your. You, you think that, Nico? I agree. agree. Yep. Okay. I won't answer. <laughs> Do I think uh, out of everyone? No, I'm going to say no. Okay. I don't. So think who is next? Be there be others. Not Dimmer, surely. <laughs> Dimmer, get out of it. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I I don't think it will come this year. I hope it's not David Teague, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if it was. If it was, yes. The, I, the, I, if, I, if the uh, internal review that's not about coaching happens to be. About if it coaching. happens, I, I hope it's. I hope he doesn't. Shock horror. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise Classic me. Classic Carlton. Yeah. Uh, okay, from Dario Casale, he's got a fun one for us boys. Let's say bottom six teams all had a vacant head coach position and you had to choose to coach any of these teams. Who would you pick and why? P.S. Nick can't choose the Hawks unless he truly believes that they are the closest to the flag. Is that what that – so we're talking about who's the closest to the premiership in terms of yeah, list management? What, yes. Well, who would you choose to coach? Mm. Who would you – the bottom good six. question. It's a, it is a very it's a, good it's question. It's a question without notice, so it might take a bit of time to That's think. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, I do think the Hawks have some up. green shoots, but of course you do. Look, if we're talking about who's closer, oh jeez, I would. I, I still think the Sun. Look, the Suns list. About to say you get sucked in. You'd get you're sucked in. Get you get sucked in. You look at the list, and I'll be like, so they offer here. Who do you want to coach? It's a better list. Who do you want to coach? You want to and, coach the Suns? I coach the Suns. And as a as like a rookie coach, you get a couple of years where you don't get. Criticised because it's the Suns. You only get mentioned every three weeks. Whether it's good yeah, on Gold Coast, one I mean, it would be a the list, list. Yeah, but the list. If list we're talking about on paper, it is better than anyone else's outside that top. So eight. if you're, you're listening, to the Suns board, the three of us have all. No, I didn't say a word. And almost yeah. the, maybe <laughs> the you can say the dogs as well. I think the dogs are in a really good spot. Uh, yeah. So beside the fact none of you have done your coaching license yet, uh, you'll all sign up to coach the Suns. I'm gonna pick. <laughs> Carlton. That's I, a tough gig. I'm gonna, it's a what? tough gig. I'm you glad you brought that up. Because you are I'm a Carlton pick, member. I'm gonna, <laughs> I am a Carlton member, unfortunately. Someone oh, signed me gonna, up as a joke. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad you brought that up because the list management going on there, um, it's it's questionable that Cripps contract six years. I would like to go in there. I, I would like to go. You would like to go in there before Chris <laughs> no, signs that contract. That's so arrogant and stupid. I would, it's, a, it's a good gig and I like the talent that they've got. I don't think there's too many things that need to go right for them to get success. I think they're not as far off as people think. Right. That's Teams that sign players on massive deals like that don't get on-field, on-field Ooh, success. Wow, Sydney don't. was the closest with Franklin. But even though, like Franklin, Franklin was fr- worth. he's a generational He's still forward. playing good football now. Exactly. But Cripps, I think this year anyway, has been playing as a B-grade midfielder. Poor. And he showed that again on the weekend. I think well, he on only gets, he gets he made right sub-20 disposals, high teens. Like he, this season, if we're talking about. Very critical. Uh, this season, he has not been an A-grade midfielder. All right. Next one from Adam P. Montes. He wrote in, I would love to hear your thoughts on this tackle. And I've show, I've, I've sent it to you boys so you've watched it. Considering Warple was suspended for something similar, holding the arm, swinging the player, head hits the ground. When I compare Warple, he has more of a swinging motion. Again, in a heat of, heat of uh, split-second decisions, how is one legal and one not? So one was obviously the Petrarca. Stringer. Uh, the stringer tackled Petrarca. 
into yep. the ground. So he was penalised. One was they were both not legal. So one was given a, as a free kick, as a free kick to Petrarca. And Warples wasn't. And Warples wasn't, and he got, and suspended. He got suspended. So I'm glad Adam has brought this yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Good to shine a light on this because that's bullcrap. Okay, that yeah. is bullcrap. I actually didn't see um, the stringer tackle until I saw this question pop mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Where's the consistency? That's what we're talking about. I said it last week. I don't mind if Warple gets suspended, but we want to see consistency and Stringer does it a week later and no one even brings it up. And and instead they're talking about how the Essendon fans were booing in the stands and booing at the umpires and that became more of a topic than the actual tackle. I think it's a joke. You think it's a joke? Gordo, do you think it's a joke? I think it's... I think it's a joke how these rules are written. And so I went into the rules about rough conduct, dangerous tackles for the tribunal and the guidelines they give, and they don't give many guidelines. Mm-hmm. And so hence why we can have almost identical actions getting very different results. And so here it says if, you know, a thing that determines rough conduct is an opponent is slung, driven, or rotated into the ground with excessive force. And the, tacker, uh, the player is being tackled, is in a vulnerable position, E.g., arms pinned with little opportunity to protect himself. So that's the both. That's both scenarios. So yeah, Nico, exactly. Nico is right here. That's why there's so much grey area because both like, both could be no no penalty. Both could be exactly one week. Yeah, yeah. What is it? There was a week between you the two incidents. Yes. You can make like, the case that Warples was more of a slinging action, but or they the force was more excessive. Well, I mean, excessive, but the but, arm was pinned on both. But of them, the so. head of the opponent makes contact with the ground in both instances. So this is what I'm saying. You've got to penalise an action, not, not a result. And both of them didn't get knocked out. That's what I'm saying. Like, exactly. where is mm. the consistency in that? And maybe the rules need to be written. Has it even been brought up? Like, has the uh, MRO even said anything about it? I don't think it was cited in the. Uh, that is ridiculous. They are. I mean, is it is it a case of one player being a, a high profile player and the other not? Here we go, Nico. Is it? Like, no, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I think they just missed it. I think it's <laughs> either, either they just missed it or they went like, you know, this this slight difference in like, was there more speed in one or like, was were they running? Were they was it a stationary scrimmage? Yeah. It's interesting. Hashtag the gym session. Let us know your thoughts. Get involved in the show, boys. Good chat today and good chat with Tom Boyd. Thank him again for coming on to share his experience and his story. Loved having your company, Gordo and Nick, and loved having your cup company, all the listeners. Uh, I hope your team wins on the weekend, unless you go for the Suns, which none of you do. Go the Tigers. Enjoy yourselves. Yeah!